Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. And we got a very interesting conversation today. So we got a bunch of artists in the room. Myself, uh, we got Jimmy, who's the co-founder of Digital Underground. Jimmy's son, Chase, who's continuing that tradition. Jante, our resident poet, rapper, martial artist, badass. Uh, and Kyle, who's worked with me on the spoken word side and has developed the Radia character. So a great uh, graphic artist. And as we're talking in the background, Z is normal. Uh, you've kicked us off and you've told all your interesting stories before we actually got started. So I don't know how much material we have left. But we'll try and have this conversation around the role of art in opting out. So opting out is a big theme, as everyone knows. That's in some ways the essence of our podcast. How can we step back from the madness of society, stop following along with things that have no meaning? This endless chase, the endless consumerism, uh, the blind drive towards vaccinations, not that we're for or against, but at least let's consider it. Uh, let's step out of all of the tribalism, all of the hatred that we're fed, excuse me, fed 24-7 from our political class. How do we step back and just live our lives? I mean, just get back to our humanity, just get back to our families, to cultivating our intellect, expressing our, our souls. And there's a role for art in that process. So as we've been talking about Art can provide clarity. It can be that wake-up call. Jante, you had a great quote about art. I think it came from Bansky. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, art should disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a beautiful way to put it, that you don't want to be too complacent. And so if you get to a point where society is spiraling in just these strange directions, it, it shakes people up, and it's kind of like a slap across the face. And in fact, I think of my spoken word that way. It's, it's a message. It's a hard message, but it's a thoughtful message. And at the same time, there's an aspect of it which is uplifting and inspiring. Uh, so if you're looking for solace, if you're looking for something beyond this material world, if you're looking for divine inspiration, which is really where art comes from, you as that disturbed person who's searching for something that's going to feed your soul, you can step into that art and find some comfort. So we've got this incredible diversity of perspectives. I don't know who wants to kick it off. I'm just going to open it up. Anyone can feel free to jump in. But let's run with this topic and talk about how we can use art to opt out and provide that clarity in this world of confusion. Well, before, before Jimmy goes, I'm going to let you guys take the floor. I just want to say that being the only non-artist in here in that sense, well, I'm a martial artist or weapons artist or something like that, but I, I'm not speaking of those kind of uh, low arts, or the basic brick-and-mortar type arts. I'm talking about taking the subtle and bringing it into the causal realm that initiates, inspires, um, makes us think, makes us see things that we didn't see before, that open up that dimensional consciousness. I believe those people are of a certain group of humanity. Just like you have people that say that we're born athlete, or Einstein was born to explore the cosmos and, and the brilliance of Einstein. And in that way, that was his earthly art. I have my own thing that I do. But it is very different than people who do the spoken word or put together music and rhythms because they're working on a vibrational level, on a basically an atomic, subatomic, quantum level to manifest and create patterns in the universe that guide our actions. 
You think about poets that stayed in your heart forever. An artist can sing a song that can get a, a crippled person to walk. Um, we travel, Jimmy and I, I've known Jimmy since he was actually a little kid. It was, it was really interesting sitting here. Jimmy and Chase came in the office and I said, damn, am I shrinking? Because in my lifetime, I remember when Jimmy was small enough and looking up to me. <laughs> and now he's this big guy, you know, 6'3", someone, him and his son. And to watch time over time, your perspective of people over time is fascinating. I'm, I'm really, really touched by our journey and, and, and being able to reflect over many decades. Jimmy's always been an artist, always have done that. There's times that I didn't understand. I didn't always appreciate art from my position the way I appreciate. I just thought they just hung out and got high and, and did music. But I realized in studying text, Vedas, physics, that the role of the artist, like the role that you're doing to speak truth to power, to bring concept to no concept, to give us an opportunity to engage our world and form it in a more perfect way is the role of the artist. Pretty Tony's drawings, the ability to freehand draw from a thought or an idea and to put it on paper and come out with a blueprint that you can physically now construct something with. It is divine. Mm -hmm. It is divine. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just open up the floor to you guys and just run with it. Well, you know, thank you. And the idea of it all is, is that right now we're in the process of assembling a new record. We have a kid named Dave Hollister, who's a very well-known R&B singer, sings love songs. Mm -hmm. Now, we took Dave and put a bunch of socio-political songs, lyrics like, you know, Lady, Lady Liberty Lies in the Coffin <clears throat> from an overdose of apple pie while the white collar beats in the tower every minute and every hour multiply. We got him singing some other shit stuff, you know, and trying to inspire through, because... I play all old school R&B and stuff for him. So I said, do you hear how positive the lyrics are within, within our party? The party, when we were partying, they were teaching you about how to overcome your issues or just making you know, a real total form of escapism, but not, not really totally escapism. You were addressing your, 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 your weekly woes on a Friday night, Saturday night, out dancing with your woman and out having a great time. And the pod, the lyrics, like you would have something like backstabbers. And they would tell you about watch out for the people that would be backstabbing. So you dance at the party and they like they they spitting game, like real game, like more game than Tupac and Biggie and all them combined in terms of a disco song. And so you find yourself, you know, bad luck, that's what you got. That's what you got. You have you listen to them lyrics, man, and you dance for like twenty minutes. Sweating, and they're teaching you all this stuff within the song. You go back and listen to some songs, man. They were uplifting, and they inspired, and they were. And I can see where rap kind of took over for some of that with certain hip hop, the Chuck D's, and them by spitting positivity and inspiring you beyond the beat or what have you, right? And so we took it upon ourselves because you keep mentioning humanity, and the name of our record will be Here with the Humanity, and it speaks to. A lot, a lot of stuff that Vin had, had done inspired us with even, you know, Black Lives Matter and mentioning the names of the people and keeping their names out there, you know, and, all, and never let that stuff stop. So the idea of it all is 
We had a band called Force One Network. It was a network of entertainment and information. And it was really all about, you know, um, it was really all about the idea of uh, entertaining, but informing you at the same time through a genre that had that had gone away. There was nobody really spitting. There's no love. There's, there's love songs, but it really has been more sex songs than love songs over the last bunch of years. Not really any love songs. And so the idea of taking a mainstream R&B artist that sings songs like Before I Let Go and with Teddy Riley and Baby Mama Drama and all the different stuff that David sang and had platinum success with, we took him and put him in this realm, singing about some things that will uplift people, like a, a love for humanity and love for the world versus a you know a, a one-on-one sex love, you know, a coochie baby love. It, it, it means more. And the idea of it all is, is that the idea of it all is is that the other part of Force One Network is we felt as though people really have not been conditioned to just put on an album and just let the song, like how we grew up, let the song go right. to the next song. No, what we did was we inserted segues and different things in between because people are conditioned that way. People are, so we'll have a commercial about the next song getting ready to come on or whatever. <laughs> Anything to let it, because the name of the album, our first album was the MME Program One, Multimedia Experience Program One, and we made that in 1991. And I'm not trying to be uh, Al Gore here, but Force One Network wasn't radio. It wasn't television. It was a beams in thing. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, we didn't invent the internet, but Force One Network, the concept around it, because I don't know about about y'all, but in 1990, I wasn't aware of, I wasn't aware of the internet. Nobody. (laughs) Exactly. So, so we had, (laughs) I have a, I have proof that I came up with this concept before that came out. On some, like on the sex package, Digital Underground, we're going to thank the members of Force One Network for being so patient. Because, and so the idea of it was is that we put songs together that had segues and things in between it because people were conditioned to listen and consume their music that way. So that's what we did when we made that record. And that's what we're doing now. And it is all about humanity and bringing those things back. It's, and I don't mean to dominate, but the, the idea of it's like, I've been listening. So over the weekend, I was listening to all the 1960s, early 70s outrage of what was happening to us as a people and stuff. And I don't know if you, I mean, I think, and I'm speaking to y'all because y'all are younger. And then the whole idea, and I know, I think the, the thing that you guys had is Biggie Tupac got killed. But can you imagine, I mean, meaning, meaning in terms of. They didn't even have that. They had um, Nipsey Hussle. Oh, okay. Well, Nipsey. Okay. So, yeah, but just imagine if all of them got whacked, like within the course of a couple of years, right? We're talking about Mega Evers, Malcolm X, right. you know, and, and not the Kennedy boys, and, and, and Martin Luther King. And so that, that, that's Sam why. Cook. Sam Cooke. Otis Redding. Fred Hampton. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Fred Hampton. Let's go. Right, exactly. But you're right. Sam <laughs> Cooke, Sam Cook, I saw the doc, and it explained how white folks loved him so much that they were telling him, like, hey, Sam, it's okay, yeah. If you want to have your own record coming, we'll let you have. But you're sitting up and you are recording with, uh, with, yeah. with with James Brown and with uh, Jackie Wilson. And you're telling them they should have their own thing, too. We're not going to really let that happen. So at the end of the day, he had to get whacked. He set him up with a hooker and had him killed in West, in, in, down here in South Central somewhere, right? Uh, or in Western. And the idea of it, uh, it was really awful because he was dope. I mean, the song he was singing was cool, but he... He was going to come to you and show you how to fire your publishing company, your label, and all. They're like, uh-uh, you got to go. So the idea of us 
putting out music and stuff to basically um, do the things that music should do, heal and, 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 inspire. and inspire and things of that nature, you know? And it's, it's, it's really difficult because people, like, I was talking with my guys and I'm going, look, we need to make this record and use these sound bites from back in the day. Because what it's done now is just giving this thing, like, we've been given this 50-year, 60-year window to see that a lot of that shit that they were fighting for don't work and it was a bad move. Even Martin Luther King said, I feel like I'm inserting this into a burning house. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about it. They keep showing you I have a dream. But the fact of the matter was, he said, this was a mistake, <laughs> you know? And then you saw Ferguson, he said, well, let it burn. And just let it burn, man. Like, but the idea was, he had regrets about what was considered progress. Sure, his, his civil rights strategy. Yeah, and so the idea of it all is, is that because those things were said so long ago, and they're still relevant, it's pathetic. Like, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On shouldn't still be hot. It shouldn't still have the relevance that it has. I want to chime in on that because I think, for me, as a non-artist, and I listen to it, music is inspiring, art is inspiring, and it can inspire you in different ways. It could be a a, a negative outcome or a sustainable outcome. And I know I just had an emotional sweep over me, and I thought about how it's that vibration, what artists create, Vin, yourself, Chase, Pretty Tony, all these people... Johnny, when you guys do art, vibrations are wide, ride energy wave. Energies never go away. Mm. I'll t- a, a real quick story that I, I want to hear from Chase. Years ago, I had one of my first girlfriends in Berkeley, um, and I, I broke up with her because of peer pressure or something. <laughs> so she rides her bicycle over my house and handed me a song by the Dales called The Love We Had Stays On My Mind. Mm. And she gave me that album and said, I want you to just play this. I'll come back and get it later. Because you couldn't give your albums away. You could let people borrow them. Right, sure. But it was like $1.25 or something. She's, so there's this song, The Love We Have Stays On My Mind. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the lyrics, he said, I never, never will forget you. Mm-hmm. And to this day, because she gave me that song, right. you never I never her. forget her. Her wind song and, stays on your mind. No, <laughs> no the, You know that song, The Love We Have Stays On My Mind? Yeah, 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 yeah. Baby, I've been thinking about the good times that we had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, it's very moving. That's Mm -hmm. the power of pure art Mm -hmm. to express an emotion that transcends time. But also it can inspire you to be more gracious about love and people's loving you. Mm. It also can call you to war or to submission. Mm. It can make you tolerate Things is what the religious songs, wait till after you die and you'll go to heaven, so suffer in this world, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. the big okie doke mm-hmm. for many people. So uh, th- just wanted to add that to the power of what you guys do. What are your thoughts on it, Chase, being like one of the youngsters in the room? That I'm, typically I'm, I'm a student in the room still, but yeah, um, the energy of music is so powerful for myself. And and creating like and I I do it I used to do it for shallow purposes like at some point like you just want females to like you and shit like that <laughs> that's very deep shallow at all but I mean you don't have nothing to say when you're younger you know what I'm saying so now as I'm older and I have some life experience now I have shit to say so then I, even the artists that I like that are might not to be the most commercial but they they're speaking to people like I know there's an artist named Larry June from the from the Bay Area, from Frisco, whatever, but he talks about empower like get start your business. 
Ludus, like he's telling people sure. what to do, and people like him for that. They're like, you inspired me to start my business, or you just inspired me to, you know, take a leap of faith and do so. Sure, sure. And then, like, starting to realize how powerful music really is. So, and I've always known, and even when you just said right now, as far as like uh, time period, like time period pieces with music, like when I hear some shit. I might not even liked like that, but it may, it takes me back to being little or something, yeah, and, yeah. and and you feel that that happiness when you were little, and like that kind of shit. So it's like you even get teared up sometimes, oh, you know, no. getting overwhelmed. <laughs> I find myself getting teared up sometimes now. It's like, mm, what's wrong with me? Like you know what I'm saying? Like you you get overpowered by like the, no, the vibrations, and the emotions, being stifled now. Yeah, mm. when you can get teared up, you can get you can experience life. Life is yeah. The energy of emotions, the motivation of it. Yeah. So there, there's nothing. There's nothing but beauty in that. Yeah, but that's what just keeps motivating me to create and and keep going and and because I know I might not like some even when I'm creating stuff I don't want to like everything I create but then like my pops he, he'll love it or he'll find <laughs> or other people you know what I'm saying but I'd be like this uh -huh. I don't like this like, this shit this shit's dope or you okay. know what I'm saying so you start appreciating like what your sure, my purpose sure. is on this planet and it's to create and to encourage inspire others beyond myself you know yeah that's right beyond yeah. you yeah <laughs> and I, well and i would say you know i'm getting tagged in but I, but i would say it's it's even just building the connections between people mm -hmm. you know what i mean if i because i can say a certain thing i mean and you brought up what's going on in specific i listened to what's going on yesterday mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i mean and that's beautiful i mean it's a beautiful relevant yeah, and it's old, you know the you know i'm 36 that album is 51 years old mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean so there's there's this gap of time but at the same time is there is there because everything that he's speaking to are things that just human beings struggle with this sure. is mm -hmm. these are human it's just part of what it means to be a human being mm -hmm. is what is what's on that record and that's i mean that's even why it's called what's going on mm -hmm. right? yeah it's all about this is this is just what it is mm -hmm. and he captures it so well incredible so, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there was no one's home you could go to that didn't have that album every black person had that album in that moment in history right in that moment in history when everybody knew somebody who was dying or suffering mm -hmm. or was jailed or was killed, those hot summers, that kept you human. Right. Mm -hmm. It did because we were on the brink and people don't remember that. A lot of people just forget even the people that went through it. It, it was Those were hot summers. They just killed all our leaders. They just killed everybody. everybody. <laughs> in the 60s, everybody got killed. And those people... They they just kept that vibration going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that, Jay? Um, I mean, I would piggyback off of what Kyle said and what Chase said. I think too there is a there's a recognition as a child mm -hmm. when you I got into music early mm -hmm. as a pianist, oh. and then I moved from piano to writing, and I started with poetry, and I moved from poetry to lyrics and yeah. hip hop. I discovered Nas, and I can remember it with clarity hearing. Um, if I rule the world yeah. on the radio mm -hmm. while I was with my grandma at work, I was like, what is this poetry that I'm hearing over a beat? Like, this is Nas featuring Lauryn Hill. Like, mm -hmm. hold on. No one told me that that this existed. 
Because mm-hmm. all I knew growing up in LA was NWA, Gangsta Rap, Tupac, Corrupt, Eastwood. That's all I knew. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't gangbang music, I didn't know there was, oh, there's poetry in this. Mm. There's humanity in this beyond what I've lived around amongst my family. Sure. So even as a child, I recognized that, oh, this is, it's cathartic in that human way. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I understood how that translated to connection with other human beings, people from cultures that I may not, I don't, I don't know you. You grew up somewhere in the backwoods of Alabama. Mm-hmm. But you had a father that was in and out of your life. You had maybe an uncle or an aunt that was on drugs. We have that shared humanity. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I went through that too. Mm -hmm. Let me read this spoken word piece to you. I did one recently. I got thrown in, literally thrown in the fire by Diane. (laughs) 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 Um, Called Lessons from My Father. Mm. And the whole piece talked about how I learned from him. And what I learned from him as a child, not realizing that I learned these lessons Mm. and then how his absence broke those lessons and how I had to rebuild myself Mm. through my own lived experiences. And and people in the audience, I don't know you, but I know you. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So that connection, even as a child, I knew there was something there's something here that's human Mm. that, that allows me to cross these barriers and we can now communicate on a level that's not. You know, I've never been abused, but I recognize your pain as a human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've gone through my own shit. Mm-hmm. So I, I know the suffering that you're going through. That's powerful, Jay, because when Jimmy and I went, we went to Japan and they had the Japanese rap groups, mm-hmm. Major Force Posse and all that, and you get to Japan, so they couldn't possibly have anything to rap about. Mm-hmm. Then you get to meet these people, and they, it's like they're talking the same thing. Exactly. They were talking the same thing, right? It was like, whoa, who are these cats? They came out with dreads, yeah. And then there's one thing that we made the public enemy. And then we were, I was over in Europe, and this old, they interviewed an old woman, and she said, I'm a public enemy. <laughs> the hell you think? Oh, white lady, what, what is she She said, when they bombed my country, I killed them. I killed them back. Mm. And people told me not to. They told me girls couldn't fight, but I fought. I fought the power. I'm a public enemy. Eighty-something-year-old, mm. a little bit white grandmother. And she said, "I'm one of the favorite fans of Public Enemy. Fight the power." She said, "That's what I did, and nobody understood. They killed my family, and I killed them back." That's wow. music. Yeah, yeah. God. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's amazing because we did tour and travel with Tupac, and we mentored and raised and protected him and did everything that when we weren't there what happened to him was going to happen and if we hadn't been there before like you know like I had to share a room with him and you know I mean he was my roadie setting up my equipment and doing this that and the other but some kind of way you know he was an employee of the band but by the time he was done I'm working for him because I got to stop protect him from fronting us off and getting all of us messed up right like, oh, yeah. we would show up at a truck stop at Waffle House at, at four in the morning, and he, you know, and the people bring out a dirty setup to him, like something on the fork, you know. But if I was a white man with my fork having shit on it, he's gonna curse out the the, the lady at the, on the four o'clock in the graveyard shift, and we'd have to you'd have to help him pick his fights and quell so many things. We stopped so many things. Like I would be like, man, you know, first of all, we don't bring guys to the room. Man. We don't like in the lobby and you'd be in the thing and you gigging and tour and everybody's feeling good and they want to hang out. Mm-hmm. That's cool, okay, we, that's what the lobby's for. Right. Now, we get to the hotel room upstairs, 
that girl that made eyes at you that looked like she wants to hang out above and beyond that and just kind of kick it. Okay, cool. Some girls, but not no. So you bring everybody up to the room. Right. And I'd be like, oh, man. And, and those were the things that ultimately ended up being to his demise, right? The, you know, the guy that smoked weed, they had the weed, they get to come to the room. Like, well, you know, no, I would have the weed. I'd bring you. I'd go get some weed, weed, smoke it in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the other side of it was what was powerful, going to what you said, was because he really was a poet that rapped. He really wasn't a rapper. Right. And a lot of people, and I know, and I suck, because I was wondering, don't get me wrong, I was wondering, like, why, is this, why are these people crying when they look at him and listen to him? Like, why is he affecting people this way? How come his shit seems to permeate different than everybody else? Because he was speaking, I guess, even like being abused. And, you know, we've talked about different things that we felt that Pac may or may not have gone through. But the idea of it all is he communicated with those people who had, he was speaking, he was on that vibration that you're talking about that was superior to everybody else on a rap thing. He could do that. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, we were on to it. This guy is the, first of all, there's some things that I always want that I tell people. It's like, back in the day, you know, you'd be like, you got some success going and people, man, get at me, man. Let me, let me fuck, fuck with me, chop. I can put you, I'm not going to make you rich. And it's like, and first of all, when you say that to me, I know you don't understand. And I know you got a dream and this, that, and the other. But Pac was the one that would come and go, hey, man, child, what can I do to help so I can be put on? Mm-hmm. Those are magic words, like open sesame. It's like, damn. And he like, you know, and that's the thing. Make yourself of service to somebody that you want something from. Don't be just trying to get something. Uh-huh. So he understood mm-hmm. that. And then when we get out there, his ability to articulate and understand pain and suffering, he was obviously going through more than most. I mean, that's a new thing for you. One thing for somebody's mom, I guess, to be on alcohol. I'm sure any drug is messed up. But what crack did to his mom and to people, through, that he was kind of a first-generation dude that could articulate that whole experience, too. So the humanities and the things that we were all going through, he was the best at that. He was, and, you know, He was an actor and a poet. And the rapping thing, he just did what he had. That's, that's, that's how we get over right now. Let me do that. Even to the point when he got over to death row. Are we going to talk shit about people and, and start fires? Okay, I can do that. He's the best. He's your best advocate. If you, you got a problem with somebody, he gonna, he's going to be out there and talk it into flames. It's like he's going to make you have to go kill somebody or somebody going to want to kill you. <laughs> because he used, war, he used words like, like, like knives. I mean, he really could and, cut deep. And that's so weird. Now, walking down the street there, so I got a Tupac tattoo on his calf. <laughs> Kevin Durant does. And mm-hmm. I just say, wow, that's why they never knew Pac. Mm-hmm. And, but his words and his artistry was bigger than him. And I was telling Ben earlier, or somebody was telling I think what made Pac great was death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that you could only listen to his word and never really know him like we knew him. Mm-hmm. We knew him. Mm-hmm. I turned on his electricity for the first time. The first mm-hmm. nice jacket he gave, I, he got mm-hmm. was that jacket mm-hmm. I gave. Yeah, the leather, black leather jacket. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And <laughs> the first time he held a mic and actually got to rap, I, he got to, Ice Cube invited him on stage and let him play, and he almost peed his pants. Remember that? Mm. Yeah, I got to be on stage. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. Go back and go pick up the luggage park and clean up the. Right. Get the blow the bucket up with popcorn so we throw it on the feet. Right. Go get the popcorn to blow up sex dolls. Right. Blow the bus. <laughs> that was so great, all. You know. So uh-huh. you're the one just right now when you said that. You know, he was our our kind of like bad little brother, 
But we talk about the pain, you know, he had been through a lot of domestic trauma. Mm -hmm. And you're the first person to just say it the way you said, Jimmy, that he spoke to that and those people resonated. Because I remember I was having a talk with Shock one time. And I was talking about that. said, just how bizarre the Humpty Dance. Because for me, being on the road was just a bizarre experience. And with all you guys, just bizarre. <laughs> and Shock said, this song is really about messed up people mm -hmm. who are marginalized. Mm -hmm. And then we look in the crowd. And every person was cross-eyed, had an asymmetric head, was overweight, pushed to the front, did some slobbered. That was their dance. Mm -hmm. I exactly. think that's genius, because right. I would have never made a song for them. Right, exactly. No, this is celebrating the imperfection. Misfit. And that's why, it was just, right? You guys would appeal to a crowd. You guys would have crazy... Bizarre, because I'd have to fish through everybody just to get cute girls because someone was so bizarre. Right. But that was their theme song. Well, you, you know. You guys created their theme song. Edith Piaf <laughs> said that, you know, you know, to show your flaws and to this, that, and the other is your perfectionist. That's your thing. Don't be trying to be perfect like this or that. Yeah. Your flaws and you exploit those things, and that resonates even way more. Mm -hmm. with people and you know you and that's great the way you articulate because it made it, it makes me reflect on even in my thing because i used to be you know i would i would just wear dark shades because it was just too much <laughs> you know, my military my it was just chaotic and there were people having seizures and spasms running back and forth and i'm saying maybe we should just uh, kill them all <laughs> no this is our this is our group you know <laughs> well, the, the, our, the, our fan base right the idea the idea of it was is that we were <clears throat> A comedic juggernaut in the world of hip hop. Hip opera, you call it. Yeah, you know, and, yeah, exactly. And you know, and the and the problem with it was is that at the same time we were doing this, the people shock, mun, and all, all the dudes was down here resenting this ascension because you got to remember we're talking about 1990, and it wasn't cool to be commercial and pop and hip hop. Right. It was, and it was to me, and it was to the people who saw the future of hip-hop, but for the people like shocking them, because I'm a jazz musician. I grew up playing bebop swing. and You know, at six years old, I played with Duke Ellington and Donald Byrd and people like that, you know? So, and at the time when I created Digital Underground along with Shock, a lot of my friends were out with Prince and Sheila E. And, so, and then my other friends, the, the white guys that were in big band, the, 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 which was mostly like these, these well-to-do kids from the Berkeley Hills, they were out in New York playing jazz with the jazz legends. Like my best friend, Benny Green, was out with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, right, like right out of high school, stuff like that. And so I'm feeling lost and lonely because, you know, I, I cut 10th grade every day to go practice to the Prince for you his debut album. I'm like, I'm going to be ready. I was going to be in Prince's band. I knew it. And I was practicing for shit like that. So when that didn't work out and those things didn't happen, I had a desperate need to create something musical that I could go tour and make records with. Now at that time, I was digging Houdini. Houdini was, Houdini was a commercial successful group that had fun. They, they kind of went to their concerts. It was called the Fresh Fest. And it would be uh, Houdini and Fat Boys and all these different people, and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and all that. But the bottom line was I recognized that genre of music as a means to go tour, make records, tour, make money. Because that's what I wanted to do. You know, and we did that. 
and 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 I was I was very much looking to commercialize the shit out of what we were doing, and that and that's where the inspiration. That's why we made that record because it was kind of from an influence of you know of being fun and having being silly and and not necessarily trying to fit into trends. Because mm-hmm. I tell the story, we had a song called "Your Life's a Cartoon," and it was about speaking to. You know, the social ills of people copping to a, a bunch of bad shit. And mm-hmm. Shock was speaking. Up, and so we thought we would be the Black Panthers of hip-hop. But then we looked up, and there was Public Enemy. Right. So we weren't going to do that better than that. But James, when you say, and to all you artist folks, there are different paths that people take. It's like with Pretty Tony doing his graphic design. So many people want it for free. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And a weird thing about whenever you monetize something, you change the relationship with that thing. It's not always bad, but it's not always good. I, I'm trying to say it in the right way, that because the way art flows from you, sure. it doesn't have a way of quantizing it into a dollar amount. Sure, it's tenuous. Art and business is a tenuous you know, thing. They don't it's go really to... hard right. because a genuine artist, it's priceless. That's why sure, we yeah. pay so much for paintings and artwork sure. and music. And I think about relationship dynamics is when it becomes transactional. True. There is something you said to me a long time ago. It was so funny. And I, I, I just got to share this with you. So I used to come to my, my other place, and I used to do all the medical treatments and stuff, just come in and come out, whatever. You pay, don't pay. I didn't care. I just, I'm just doing me. And then I had a business partner that runs up to Jimmy and says, I need to get a credit card or check from you for these services. And Jimmy hesitated. I'm like, what? He says, okay, so he swept his credit card or whatever, Jay. He's kind of, hmm. And I said, uh, what's up, Jimmy? He said, man, I just paid for treatments and stuff. I said, okay, wait He said, no. You know, he said, it's kind of like, I used to get the pussy for free, and the <laughs> pussy was good. And then the pimp came and told me now I had to pay for the same pussy I was getting free. It just feels weird. The pussy's good. But it takes something away from it. So that it was a funny thing you said, and I never forget because in a simple way, the analogy is that it's very difficult to put a price point on something that comes from your heart. And that is where managers, other people that are removed from that train of event need to come into play. For artists who are seasoned, and understand, like Miles Davis and people mm. like they understood how you got ripped off. Mm-hmm. James, Brown, James Brown lost his first fortune. Mm-hmm. He had nothing to show for his first $10 million of work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. He went back, educated himself, went to school, and learned how to read contracts. Everybody, Little Richard, everybody, you name it, they had to go back after they lost a fortune <laughs> found themselves sleeping on couches or in their own car outside of gigs that they were making money for everybody else. Mm. So that's how powerful art is because on a gross level, there's money. On a quantum level, there's vibration. How do you put a price on it? And that's a question. Hey, price. Yeah, they're the price. They're the price. Boy, it's Mick Jagger in there while you put a price on yeah, they, they, they it. They got, they got used to it. But, but you know what's weird is like we're Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. Because of his religious convictions, couldn't accept certain money. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do something. He couldn't get the surgery that ultimately ended up killing him. He had like a, a, yeah, a yeah. foot surgery, a foot thing that he could have got fixed, yeah. and he didn't be. And he also couldn't receive merchandise money with his image in his face. Yeah, now he went on to be. He couldn't. He couldn't accept it based upon whatever. I don't know Rastafarian religion, but 
He couldn't do it. Now you know he went on to be the first billion. He made the he was the first artist that sold over a billion dollars worth of merchandise. And so and, and this guy, this guy who owns uh, whatever that label is, Island Records, Chris Blackwell, the, the European, he's got all he got. You don't worry about it, Bob. You don't want to make your God mad. We'll take the money. Uh, we've been doing this for like thirty minutes. Okay, let's start coming downhill on it. Um, get Vin to chime in. Get anybody wrap up any thoughts, ideas. Really, I want to just finish with the theme of the role of art in in, in our shared humanity that's on the decline. Yeah. I uh. I have my own feelings on it. I think the reason, uh, I can't remember who said uh, I was crying and I don't know why. When Okay, Chase. I think that music is so transcendent because really what we're watching and when you listen to an artist sing or uh, express themselves is they're having an emotional release. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's, it's so powerful. Um, and then it, it allows you to see that and be like, wow, I, I need that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it becomes so healing mm-hmm. uh, in my Yeah, It resonates the way it resonates yeah. with you. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And I think that conversation, uh, and Jimmy, that you guys are just having is, is, I know you remember this, and I know you, Kyle, you, the, uh, the snap era of hip-hop, Mm. Well, right when we graduated high school, mm-hmm. you had the Soldier Boys. The, oh yeah, two thousand, early two thousand era. Yeah, yeah, big, yeah. The big the ringtone era. Yeah, the yeah. ringtone. We was, I was just watching, talking about the uh, ringtone era. <laughs> ringtone. Well, yeah, nobody well, even you made music ringtone. specifically to land on a ringtone song, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something that people would put up. Oh, let me go. I need to right. get a car so I can put it on my phone and sure. ring. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that conversation is where we lost that essence. Is that there was this in the '90s, and I love '90s hip hop. This it raised me. Hell, um, but we. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Diddy? <laughs> I'm sorry. About that. I'm, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm a hip hop head. Yeah, they, got, they definitely have um, better hip hop. You guys, this resentment of. Mainstream mm-hmm. is where we lost that essence. Mm-hmm. This, this, it was almost ingrained because when I started making music, making like rapping it, making it's like you, you don't want to blow up because you got to sell out. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, you, no, mm-hmm. you don't. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Jay Z been rapping about, he's been speaking to the hustlers since since he came out. He's right. still speaking to the hustlers. Sure. You don't have to lose you, but that idea had been burned into right. hip hop, absolutely, on mm-hmm. a dangerous level, absolutely. Where, Everyone figured, well, fuck it. If I blow up, I can't be me. Right. And well, now you got us looking at hip hop like, well, now you got Soldier Boy and right. This snap era ringtone shit. Where's the music? Like, mm-hmm. what happened to music? I think that applies to theater also. That's why you have theater, and we're working with these artists um, who do theater, and they also mm-hmm. do movies. They have all shared with me that there is a cabal of people that control theater. Sure. That in order to to get into mm-hmm. there, you have to bow down to the holy wand of whoever these people are. And the people that don't do it are pretty much resigned to theater. Mm-hmm. They will not cross over into so, the mega media. Right. So, and, and there are people, and, and when they do cross over, you see the decline of them as artists, mm-hmm. though they do become uh, greatly popular. 
but they're not that person anymore. It's almost like you see your favorite artist doing some good work. They start to come up, and they they almost have to wear a dress at some point. Mm-hmm. Right, they go from actor to movie star. Yeah, they go from yeah. you know thespian to movie star, and there is a yeah. difference, a vast and difference. That, that, that yeah. there is a hazing or some sort of crossover that they seem to go through. I don't know what that is, and the ones that don't do it are always B list. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a way to navigate. I mean, you look at the Colts, the Kendricks, the you know, you run through that list, and there's a way to navigate around that. Especially I don't know now. what that way is, yeah, but it exists. Right. Because well, we Cube, <laughs> Cube said that, and I don't, I ain't selling. They just bought it. That was his thing. Like, man, I ain't sold out. I just, sold out a little bit. <laughs> Are we there yet? <laughs> uh, but, you know, but you know, the the idea of the progression. Mm-hmm. And the way that art gets explored, and it always does. I, I watched the thing uh, on the. Oh, oh, that's right, winding under. The whole idea is that, you know, it, it it is so important that right now, what I feel bad about, and to speak to what we're talking about. So, Michael K. Williams, the late actor who just passed, has a show called uh, Black Market on Vice Network. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he goes around and shows you the black market on everything. Now he showed you the black market on bots, mm-hmm. and how. Because I've been wondering with, with me, not trying to be an old fogey, but wondering why this shit don't resonate. Like when we were choosing Smith, resonate with me. How come I'm listening to this music, but it ain't resonate? Well, a large part of that music, the reason why it ain't resonating with you is because those are bought likes and bought things that, and they're made by bots, right? Where people will hire or pay a service to go on and like and do all those things to create. And simulate Run the down. idea that somebody actually was listening and liked it. So I'm wondering, I was wondering, like, why? I mean, that, like I said, it's very easy to be older and just go, oh, that, that's they shit, that shit's whack or whatever. But no, this shit wasn't resonating with anyone. It's the reason why these songs don't feel good, sing, sound good, or nothing. Yeah, the robot likes it. it, it <laughs> exactly. And so, and he, Michael Williams had a brother, a young brother out of DC, who they put in jail for it. But what happened was that was because he was showing people in the hood how to get down. He worked for a legitimate big corporate white company mm-hmm. that they use that in their world. So first of all, they're worried about him exposing what corporate America has been doing, making you think that people buying this and liking it when they don't. Second of all, <laughs> he's showing the stripper, the girl that owns the hair salon, how to create this audience, and because what it does is if you go somewhere and you say, man, I got a mi- two million likes for my podcast, well, then the sponsors could write you checks. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's fraud. Mm-hmm. Now, in the music business, you can still do it. Where they had a problem with it was the tennis shoe because he went to a, he went to this Asian kid who was the tennis shoe master who gets you some Jordans and this, that, and the other, but you can't do it with concert tickets. You can't do it with concert tickets. This guy that Michael was interviewing that showed people how to hustle. He showed he had the number one charting thing on Billboard. He was on he was on Times Square with the big thing. All of this shit. You would swear he was Kendrick or somebody large. And he didn't have none of that. He didn't have no sales. He didn't have any of that. His hustle was knowing how to hustle the, the technology. And he went overboard. He should have did it with some people who actually had tech. Because he, I mean, not only... He couldn't rap. He sucked. He was horrible. <laughs> that that was that was what got him busted. It was like his ego. He should have did. He should have found some legitimate dope rappers and put that technology with that. He did it with himself. So now this fool shows up. He got 
he got a, like an arena. I don't know if it was Madison Square Garden. Nobody showing up to the concert. And they have to cancel the concert and all the rest of that shit because it was all bullshit. It was all smoke and mirrors. Right, it goes back to what we, we started is, is art and humanity. <laughs> they cannot pull the humanity out of it yet. Mm. I mean, I'm sure they're working on it. But in that, <laughs> that's our thoughts today is just the, the role of art in our, our, our collective humanity. Mm-hmm. Ben, what, what do you have to say and close the show for us? Yeah, I think it's interesting because there's this whole societal element that, as you said, and we've been talking about, you can get people to subjugate themselves. You can get them to rise up in revolution. You can tell them things to bring tears to their eyes. So there's this healing element. There's a force that's embodied in whatever the art is. The other aspect of it that I find interesting for myself, it's transformative for the artist. Like when I do this and I write sometimes, it's very spiritual. I'm sitting there. Um, I mean, now I do things on a computer and I'm writing and thoughts are just coming and it's almost like I'm disembodied. We talk about just being that witness. That's a concept in Eastern philosophy mm-hmm. uh, that we are just consciousness and uh, we're consciousness uh, that is universal and we're animating a particular body or not even animating, but we're just witness to everything that happens. Mm-hmm. That's the closest I come to feeling that way because I don't know where the thoughts are coming from. I don't know what's putting my fingers to work. I don't know how the words are being put together. It's just a process that is transmitted through me, that flows through me, that brings brings clarity in my own mind. It's divine. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. the artist has a divine thing. It's like me and my stuff that I do. It's not just me. Right. You know, it's something that, that I don't know, it's something that embodied, that's embodied and expressed through me and animates me. We call it blessings for a lot of us. I, I use blessings versus luck. I don't like luck. I don't do that. I don't do luck. I even it's that. beyond that because I can't help but do what I always <laughs> tell people. You know, I follow the Popeye mantra. I am what I am. I am. You know what I'm saying? It's your purpose in life. Yeah, yeah. I just want you to know this is the same guy that would dress in camouflage, hiding in a tree. Yep. Jump out of the tree to whoop the, the bully of the high school. Like the bully. Like Fonzie. Like, finally, he will find his ass in front of everybody. But in army fatigue, jumping out of a tree was, like, really extreme. <laughs> like, but but it was him. He was the guy that would rush over and take over because he's an amazing, an amazing cat. And, and he's been this dude, though. Since 1975, that's when I can. That's when I can attribute. That's when I can say I've known him to be this the entire time. I can remember being out on the road. He's got on a leather band that's full of lead. Everything he's got on his function. He's got steel toe boots on. Knife here, gun here, gun here. You know what I'm saying? Some stars or some shit over here. Some some throwing stars on your head. All kind of shit. I'm like, hey, what are you going to it's war? A, it's a rap. It's, it's a rap concert. War, you know, but I mean, equipped all the way down from here to here, and and everybody was safe and took care of exactly. I fixed broken bones exactly. We did all that, right? Exactly. Came home alive, right? Is that slapped the bacon out my hand at breakfast? I'm like, (laughs) but you know what? I might fight you. (laughs) Do that again? We have a problem. Looking back, it's it's funny because I think out of all the crew, Jimmy knew me the longest. And even the manager of the group didn't know me, I mean, in that way. So that was interesting. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. But that's it, folks. So we think about the role of art and humanity, be it through song, through uh, drawing, 
through spoken word, through sculpting, um, it is part of our human thread. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. All right? Thanks, All right. everybody. All right, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. All right. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.